That was for you, you know that? I did just like you told me. If you ain't first, you're last. What the hell are you talking about? Well, you told me that day at school for career day. You came in and you said, if you ain't first, you're last. Oh, hell, Ricky, I was high when I said that. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. First, you're last. You, you can be second, you can be third, fourth. Hell, you can be fifth. Someone absolutely was telling you the secret to the universe before you found it. The problem is you weren't ready for it. I guess we'll do it that way. Man, dude, today's everyone listening. I want you to know how much we love this podcast or hate ourselves. It's definitely a bit of both. I feel like there's just too much going on. There is. We have too much to be doing. We have too much to do to be doing this podcast. And yet, here we persist. are. Because you know what? That means the podcast is going to start getting interesting when we start letting our true feelings fly. <laughs> Pretty sure we've been doing that since the beginning. <laughs> That's true. Um, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's eight in the morning on a Tuesday. We're releasing this episode today. Ooh. We usually do this a little bit ahead of time. No, I'm just. Uh, le- the the short update is that I screened rollers last night. Oh, baby! At the house. Um, a new cut. This is screening number three. Numero tres. And how'd it go? We'll get into that. John, you had a funny story about listening to podcasts oh, that you geez. wanted to tell me and that I want to hear. Oh, geez. Well, it's, oh, boy. Um, oh, boy. I don't know if I can, <laughs> I don't know if I can tell it. Um, oh, you baby. Come on. I'm about to tell you how I got shredded again in, in another review session. You have to tell me your weird podcast story. Well, I woke up. Okay, so it was Mother's Day two days ago, right? And it was, it was, that's what they tell us. We were in Nashville because my wife had this awards thing to go to. So we got back late, put the kids to bed. It's Mother's Day. Somebody was trying to come over. It was kind of a chaotic evening, right? And not because I don't love her, but because I'm a terrible son, I had not called or texted my mom yet. And so it was probably like, I don't know, 10. It was pretty late at night. And I finally got around to calling my mom and, um, you know, we talked and I went to sleep that night and I yeah. woke up as I usually do. I was listening to a podcast. I fell asleep and I use Stitcher or whatever. And I woke up, you know, seven hours later and it's 45 podcasts later down the <laughs> queue. And this guy is talking about mushrooms, psilocybin. And he's talking about Michael Pollan, who is an author, food, primarily writes a lot about food. And we were just talking about this last night. Okay, keep going. Yeah. This is so wild. So, yeah. So he's a kind of Michael Pollan's a fascinating guy. But this he wrote an article about the fact that Denver just passed a proposition to totally decriminalize magic mushrooms in the city of Denver. And Michael Pollan wrote an essay, apparently, or some article where he said, hey, not so fast. 
even though he just wrote this big book talking about how how to change your mind, how to change your mind use, using hallucinogens. And anyway, he wrote this article about, hey, not so fast. This stuff might be dangerous or whatever. And this podcast I was listening to, the guy was just kind of lambasting him. And I woke up, I was already in a dream state. I had all these weird dreams and I woke up and this guy's talking about mushrooms and yelling about Michael right. Pollan. And all of a sudden the guy cuts the podcast and he goes into an ad. And it's an ad for Squarespace or something. And in the ad, he says something. Squarespace. Build your dreams on a website. Exactly. And this guy will do all the work for you. This yeah, this guy's a comedian, it. so he's sort of um he's making it funny, right? And he's kind of telling a little story and he's like, Hey, maybe you didn't wanna uh maybe you didn't feel like calling your mom for Mother's Day, which had happened to me. And I'm sort of groggily like trying to turn this podcast uh -huh. off. And he's like, Maybe you didn't want to call your mom. Uh let's call her uh Linda Schmimpf. No. Which I I sat bolt upright. And I know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not exactly my mother's name, but it's no, no, no. Right. Extraordinarily but close. Get out of here. So I sat sort of bolt upright in bed. Um, Real quick, though, John, how many mushrooms had you eaten before <laughs> you went to bed? Um, well, zero. Chitakis? Not even chitakis. Um, <laughs> you know, that is a world that I'm, to be honest, unfamiliar with. One time somebody, um, ditto, although I will add an unfortunately, ditto meaning, un dit unfortunately meaning I'm planning, I'm not going to probably talk about it on the podcast, but I am planning on, on, on remedying <laughs> that unfamiliarity at some point mm -hmm. in hopefully the near future, but we'll see. Well, I had just sort of had this bizarre dream about, um, drugs because, you know, we, we did a little, I, I quit, man, I see, I don't really want to talk about this shit, <laughs> but at the end, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I quit smoking cigarettes and right. try, try to, I've tried to turn my life towards the healthy, let's say in general. And right. so, but I've been having these, you don't usually start your morning with a Big Mac anymore, Big Mac, Diet Coke, a call to Donald Trump, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So, but I've been having extremely vivid dreams for the first time in years and Part of this part of this dream was about my my mom and Whoa. other things, and so I I just felt like I was in this really bizarre state when I woke up, and this guy was talking about mushrooms and being in this mushroom realm and all this stuff, and then he jumps in and he says my mom's name, I mean with with one letter off on the last name. Wow, it was very bizarre, yeah. man. It really freaked me out, and I went back and listened to the whole thing, and the guy was talking about curing depression with mushrooms and curing. Uh, alcoholism, cigarette addiction, all this stuff with mushrooms. It was, it was really wild, man. It really uh, it shook me up, and it made me think maybe I need to take a trip to Denver. Well, you know, that wouldn't be the worst podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. I actually watched <laughs> a po I listened to a podcast recently where guys took mushrooms and talked about all kinds of random shit. And I was surprised because I think a lot of people – I'm not familiar with mushrooms. I haven't really been around people that have been on it you know, while they're on it. And it's a world that's so unfamiliar to me that I sort of have the mindset of somebody like the war on drugs type mindset that you're going to take this stuff, right, right. you're going to go nuts, you might jump out a window, you know, Yeah, which apparently is not true. No, I don't think it's true. I have heard that it's pretty wild, but I think it's partly wild. Uh, you know, I, I think the same thing is true about weed. I think a lot of people think like, 
I'm gonna start seeing shit. It's like, no, you're not. Do people not still feel that works. way? I was in. I live in the South, and I was in uh, Publix, which is a grocery store, and they've got it's pronounced Publix. 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 They have mag, you know, magazine racks like every grocery store, and they have uh, probably three different covers of magazine, mainstream magazines with big pot leaves on it, and saying like the future of marijuana. The new industry, great for your health, all this kind of stuff. I was like, man, this is wild how quickly this changed. Mm-hmm. You would be shocked to see on the cover of Time magazine a pot leaf and, a, and 10 articles praising medical marijuana. It's true. No, it is changing. Um, it's funny, you know, I think it's probably like anything else. Like, don't overdo it, you know. Mm. I, I think with... I, I, I think the... Okay, I have a theory on this. Mm. I think a lot of people have misconceptions because it is impossible to describe accurately and especially to portray in a movie Mm -hmm. accurately the experience of having your mental state altered in any way. Mm -hmm. You can't even do it with drunk, like drunkenness. Mm -hmm. Like the whole point is that it is to some extent not replicatable in, without that substance. And so I think a lot of people create things that are trippy and all that kind of stuff to either enhance the experience of being on those substances or in some cases also like to give a sense of what it's like, like a metaphor of what it's like, but not no one. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't think the typical experience is to like, yeah, go to the mushroom kingdom in a very literal sense. I think a lot of people just start to, but you know what? I say that having not done true hallucinogenic. So I don't know. I can say with confidence though, that weed is a delightful experience if you use it properly, but it does not. Yeah. It doesn't like send you to the nether regions, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I think it can, if you're like in a weird mental state, but I think a lot of this also comes back to, yourself and what you're bringing to this like you you know you, you're bringing the fact that your mom's name sounds similar to you know right. what i mean like like that like you're bringing that to that 99.99999 percent people who heard that didn't think twice about it well also consider the fact that i had just come out of a hallucination which is a dream mm, santran dude santran yeah. so it's I mean, so true. It's it is a bizarre thing. You know, I was reading just the other day about what our consciousness is and the what a freaking wild thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was that that exists at all. I was let alone if we can even figure out how to describe it. Anyway, keep going. I was reading about Alan Watts, who I don't know much about. I've heard people describe him as a prophet or this and that. Um and you sort of turned me on to this tip because you're you're getting heavily into Thomas Merton, who we've talked about a little bit before. Oh, and baby. there yeah. was this sort of coterie of guys in the 40s, 50s, 60s who were all hanging out. I didn't realize this, but Alan Watts, Joseph Campbell, John Steinbeck, and a bunch of other guys that were friends and contemporaries were... Seriously? Yeah. Yep. There's, in fact, there is, there's a marine biologist or an ecologist, uh, last name Ricketts. I think it's Ed Ricketts. 
who was an inspiration for a ton of characters. Were they all up in mid, uh, basically the mid coast? Yeah, in the west on the west coast. Yeah. Damn. And they were, but I mean central coast. Sorry, not the mid coast. Wherever of, uh, California, like Monterey, all that kind of precisely. stuff. Precisely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So uh, Joseph Campbell and and Steinbeck were friends with this guy named I think it's Ed Ricketts, and he was a biologist of some type. And apparently a very charismatic and influential guy. Mm. And they were just going around and sort of exploring the world and really changing culture. I mean, you know, Joseph Campbell wow. wrote The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which yep. inspired hugely George, important. Yeah, it inspired George Lucas. And I haven't read the book. I'm sort of familiar with the concepts, but it it is. Um, I thought about it a lot when we watched Into the Spider-Verse, which is a great, great movie mm. um, that you yeah. and a friend of the show john drexler recommended to me it's it's just interesting man there are these cultural moments um in time where people come along and just sort of uproot everything or maybe plant new seeds that take 20 years you know because we're talking in the 1940s i hear with a thousand faces was written in the 40s and star wars which was is really thought of as the seminal work influenced by that was what 30, right. 30 years after right but dude oh john oh i just oh i'm I'm turning into a professor i have so many books mm. well I, I don't want to interrupt too much but we're, we're we're starting to get into even just where rollers is at right so I, I i am excited well i, I want you to finish that I'm, i shouldn't interrupt that's you. it I'm sorry that's it i just oh that's it okay well first of all i want to put this on the record john mm. and by on the record I mean, this record, I mean, this podcast, okay? Yep. I want to build that kind of shit, dude. Mm. I want, I mean, regardless of whether hallucinogenic drugs are involved or not, I don't really give a shit. What I give a shit about is I want to build a community. I want to build a tribe. Mm. I want to build a freaking movement, whether it's three people or thousands. I don't give a shit. Mm. But I want to, I want to surround myself with people who love great art, who think differently, and who want to make things that matter to the world as much as people like that made, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And because we live in a different era, era, you like how I said era? Era. Because we live in a different time, I want that group to be more diverse. You know, like I want it to involve not just white men mm. because there's nothing wrong with white men. I am one of them, but I would love for that group. I mean, man, how cool would it be? I think people just need to think more like that. You know, I think we need to, we need to open our minds to that kind of thing. How do we need to change our minds? Thank you, Michael Pollan. Mm. John, I have a few things that I'd like to read you. You know, yep. how I like my poems. I do. Um, I'm getting really into this uh, ancient Chinese philosopher named Chuang Su, who was uh, writing kind of in what's considered the golden age of Chinese philosophy. He was one of the people who popularized Taoism, which was sort of the the precursor to Zen Buddhism. Anyway, it's a really amazing philosophical system, and I think it has a lot to offer the West, and I love it. But I'm going to give you one poem that represents sort of the way I came into this aspirationally, this screening. Mm. But because I am not a fully formed artist or person yet. I do not think that I, I succeeded in that goal. And I want to read you a second thing that comes from something very different, but actually written about the same time, but in a very different part of the world that 
represents, I think, the problem and the and and the, and the status of where the project is at. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. How many listeners do you think we're losing now that I'm starting to read ancient Chinese poetry? <laughs> Is everyone going to quit? There are how many Chinese? There's a billion Chinese. They might, uh, we might pick up some oh, extra listeners. Shit. Yeah, you know, we got to get our Chinese audience get, going. Get our Mandarin cooking. Are they allowed to listen to this in China? How does that work? I mean, I'm sure they are, right? I'm sure. There's some weird shit over there, though. Okay. Um, so, John, I'm going to read this first one. This is a poem by Chuang Su, translated by Tommy Merton. I think this is what I'm missing. This is the perspective that I need in my life. Hmm. Poem's called The Need to Win. When an archer is shooting for nothing, he has all his skill. If he shoots for a brass buckle, he is already nervous. If he shoots for a prize of gold, he goes blind. Or sees two targets, he's out of his mind. His skill has not changed, but the prize divides him. He cares. He thinks more of winning than of shooting. And the need to win drains him of his power. I got to quit trying to win, John, and I got to focus on shooting. We went to Japan when I was younger, and you go to these big temples where they did this stuff, where the Zen archers were, and it's a wild experience, mm. man. That country, you you cannot get the experience of that culture by watching a Netflix documentary about it. You. The mm-hmm. feeling that you get, the feeling of watching people in traditional dress that does not feel like going to um, Colonial Williamsburg, where it's a bunch of actors mm-hmm. who are secretly looking at their Instagram pages when everybody turns around. Right. No, they believe this they shit. They 100% believe it. They are genuinely going to their great-great-grandfather's uh, tomb to pour some water into it. I mean, it's it's a wild experience. And you could go to these temples and you could see where the... They would shoot arrows. At, I, remember, I forget exactly where this was, but they would shoot these arrows in competition through these columns, and you could see arrow marks from you know 500 years ago. It's a wild experience, wow. man. Oh, I would love to do that. I really want to do an epic Eastern pilgrimage at some point because yeah. I think, you know, dude, it's just wild. Like, I mean, dude, like, yeah, there was trade between the countries, but, but you know, a global trade starting, I don't know, when – a long time ago, but not actually not that long ago. I believe Japan was closed off to the West. Yeah, I guess Japan is separate. Yeah, I was thinking more of like the Silk Road and stuff. Mm, but true. Yeah, I mean, how long was Japan closed Until off? Until the 1880s, I, mean, I think, because that was a Commodore. I mean, you think about space. and you think about all the people genuinely seeking wisdom and trying to become smart, enlightened, whole people for literally mm-hmm. thousands of years. On a completely a, a divergent parallel path mm-hmm. from us for thousands of years, they figured out some stuff that we totally don't understand in the West. And I think I'm not, I know, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that they have the whole picture. I think what we need to start realizing is that, like, I don't know, man, they do some amazing stuff. It, you can, in general, do some amazing stuff when you, yeah, when you, when you, when you think about the work. I think that's what that poem is about. The poem is basically like, yeah, it robs you of your skill when you focus on trying to make a good movie. Mm. Or, or, or no, I should I should rephrase that. What robs me of my joy in the process and my ability to make high quality work is when I start thinking about how it will be perceived, mm. and I start thinking about what awards I want to win, 
Yeah. And I started thinking about how much money I want to try to sell the movie for. And I started thinking about which festivals I want to premiere at. All that is irrelevant. It could not, it could not in any way be more irrelevant to the process of turning this fucking movie into a movie that is worth watching. Those are totally, totally separate processes. Anytime I look back, even at a picture of myself, I happen to look through, I looked through some pictures the other day and I saw a bunch of pictures of myself when I, when my kids were young. So this would be five, six, seven years ago. And I looked at that dude and I knew what was going on in his life, you know, and it was, some stuff was great. Some stuff was terrible, Mm -hmm. but, and some of the, some things that were going on in his life, I could read on his face. You know, the bloat mm. of his face, the look in his eye. I could, I both recognized that person and did not recognize it. And that's not mm. to say that I'm a completely different person. You know, I lose my temper. I'm, I'm short-sighted. I'm all these terrible things. You are very much in many ways a different person. I'm, yeah. And in many ways I'm totally different. Thank God for that. If I were the same, what a right. tragedy that would be. Uh, and that's not to say that it has been a straight line up. It has Absolutely not. And if you rode in the car with me this morning when I was groggily complaining to my kids about them, how they were getting ready for school, you would have thought, man, this guy is a dick. But yeah, totally. We're I guess is what I'm getting at. We're going to learn new stuff. I'm going to know stuff next year that I don't know now, hopefully, if I'm still alive. Yeah, you did not know much if anything about Thomas Merton, your interest in Eastern philosophy was minimal. I'm guessing before this, how much do you wish that you knew what you know right now, eight months ago, a year ago, before you went on this journey to even start the movie? Let's bring back the hero's journey, baby. I'm going to answer that question with a little Josie Campbell. I call him Josie. (laughs) His friends like John, Johnny, Johnny Steinbeck called him Josie. Josie Campbell, he taught, he taught us that and 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 people have have since sort of broken this down into more um let's call it formula yeah more formulaic things which i find very helpful from at least from an analytical standpoint um he he would he would say and i think this has been my own journey i think we go on many heroes journeys throughout our lives i think there's one larger meta journey that we go on but i think there's a lot of little miniature journeys i think you've been on one i think i've been on one i think anyone who's awake and living their life actively rather than passively is on some sort of hero's journey. Now, the hero's journey always starts with some sort of crisis or some sort of being forced from home. You know, Mm. for me, I don't want to get into too many details, but there were a handful of things that very much forced me from home, both religiously, philosophically, emotionally, relationally. There were things that like threw me out of the nest before I thought I was ready. That has happened multiple times in my life, but I would say probably four or five years ago was the most dramatic and the most meaningful yet. That is such a classic because here's the thing. Joseph Campbell was replicating things that people have been talking about for thousands of years including Aristotle and Poetics, which is what I want to read from next, mm. because he talks about all of this stuff. And um, But but before I go there, I, the hero's journey requires you to leave home in some sense. It requires you to leave the comfort of your home so that you can experience things that otherwise would not have made sense. And the reason I'm harping on this is because, yeah, of course I wish I knew all this stuff. But the truth is, the hero has somebody in the hero's journey. Someone is telling him all that shit. Someone was telling you 
Someone absolutely was telling you the secret to the universe before you found it. Mm. The problem is you weren't ready for it. And sometimes the only way to be ready for it is to be forced from home, to be given some sort of mission, small or large, and to go on that mission and see where it takes you and to go through struggle and to be broken. And then it's not usually until the third act of a story mm. that, the, that, the, that the character finally embraces. Usually most of a story is chasing some rabbit trail chasing going on a wild goose chase for the thing you think is going to make you happy in rollers he thinks that saving rollers is going to make him happy and so part of what i'm running into with this and and part of what i'm trying to say with you is like we chase things we don't listen to the wise people in our lives if we're lucky enough to have them mm. we're like no no i'm young and you know i was standing in the shower the other day and i was specifically thinking Exactly what you were just talking about. I am such a different person than I was five years ago. Yeah. Utterly different. And if I do life right, I will be as different. Probably not. I don't want to continue to change as much as I've changed because it has been an exhausting yeah. process of growth and metamorphosis. I need a break. But at the same time, I want to be a very different person in 20 years. I want to have kids. And I think that's going to make me change immensely from everything I can possibly tell or guess from watching other people go through that. Um, there will be other tragedies in my life. People I love will die. Mm -hmm. That is going to happen more and more often. It will change me. Those are each going to be their own little hero's journey. And you get to choose. You get to choose to accept the journey. And dude, the reward for those journeys is that at the end, all of a sudden, the thing that Yoda was telling you all along, use the force, mm -hmm. starts to make sense. Yeah, You know, you're like, oh, I know what he means by use the force. Like, dude, I've heard of Taoism before. It didn't matter to mm -hmm. me. It wasn't necessary. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, I can't do this with the other answers I'm getting. And all of a sudden, Taoism makes way more sense than a lot of stuff I've heard. And so it means something. But like, I knew what that was. You and I were just talking about how we were in college and we were just fucking around the mm -hmm. whole time. And and that's it's such a shame because we went to a, a small but incredibly academically interesting and rigorous school where like really, really great smart professors with PhDs were teaching our freshman level classes mm -hmm. and wanted to help us. And all I wanted to do was skip class. And I'm I'm bummed, <laughs> yeah. you know. But but you know what, dude, that's the journey. Like that's that was an opportunity to go on a journey. I I went on a different journey. I went on one that was much more based on like interpersonal relationships right. and like becoming an adult rather than academics but my point i guess is like well you know we find these things when we need to find them i think there's some sort of cosmic order whether you believe in god or not very few people are so deeply entrenched in sort of um uh i i don't know atheism i guess you could call it that no one that, that they believe that there's no order in the universe mm -hmm. i mean it's it's undeniable and so i think sometimes these things have a way of working themselves out. You know, I was just, I, I know I'm on a major tangent now, but like I was talking to, I was talking to somebody about how I used to live with my great, great aunt, Colin Schmidt. And, um, she, you know, I lived with her for a year and, and I would tell her about stuff that was going on and she just seemed so she was super empathetic and you knew mm -hmm. Colin, like she's an amazing lady, but there were a lot of times where I'd be like worried about something and she just didn't seem worried, you right. know? 
And it was like, yeah, because she's seen things follow their natural course. Like she's seen 22-year-olds go off the deep end, mm. spend 10 years chasing the dragon, and then come back to the fold like in one way or another. Like she's seen that happen. She doesn't, she's not easily shaken anymore. That just comes with experience. And it comes with people like Aunt Colin at 50 being like, I'm going to change again. I have not gotten to the point where I can stop changing. Like I am going to continue to evolve and continue to be a different person as long as I'm alive. I think the 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 thing that prevents us from hearing these things is when we think, well, there's another quote by Chuang Su. He says, no man is more wrong than the one who has all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that I really want to live my life that way. You know, I want to assume even last night, I'll bring it full circle. You know, I, I went into this screening. I know the cut is exponentially better than it's ever mm -hmm. been. I know that for a fact. Sounds like you got all the answers. Well, right. Exactly. I, you know, I, I, I had the answers. I thought, you know what? I am pretty good at this. Mm. I'm not bad at this. I'm pretty good at this. You know what, though? I am pretty good at it. That's fine. But that doesn't mean it's good yet. Mm. Those are two totally separate things. And, and you know, I, I guess I'll save the Aristotle quote for, like, when we get into some specifics. But, you know, I brought in a couple people. Um, shout out to Josh Dietz and Josh Losey. Weird, weird, weird connection. I met them completely separately. Josh Losey directed Hunter Gather. We did not meet through um, any sort of mutual connections. We met through very Hollywood connections. We produced his first movie, Hunter Gather. It was the first movie I ever produced. And he's a great guy. He's a great friend. Um, he actually just came back from Charleston. He's writing on Danny McBride's new show, which is about a televangelist. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be hilarious. But anyway, br brought him in. Um, we met through weird connections, but we went to schools in Southeast Tennessee. He went to a school called Bryan College, which is where a couple other people I know went. And we it, it's super weird and then anyway josh Dietz is a guy that i also met in chattanooga mm -hmm. at a coffee shop very randomly he was working on a script and i asked him what he was working on and turns out he's an exec at a really cool company out here and we actually have projects in development together anyway hmm. he's from chattanooga it was bizarre and i met both of those dudes both of them happened to be there last night and these guys are straight up pros you know like they're stone cold pros they've been in this situation a million times they don't mince words you know i was talking to bryce afterwards and i was like man that was just brutal you know it was brutal again really? how the fuck was brutal again and you know what dude it was brutal again because as bryce put it he's like if they had watched and it's not that everyone before was wrong mm -hmm. he said if josh and josh and josh are both very 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 smart and we had an incredibly fun conversation that was recorded and and maybe we'll even publish it one day. I'll at least send mm -hmm. it to you. And we had a really fun conversation that led to some really great kind of breakthroughs. But the short version is, as Bryce put it, he's like, if they had watched the first cut, they probably would have given you very similar feedback to what the other smart people at that cut mm -hmm. gave you. They would have been doing triage. They would have addressed the problems that needed to be addressed. And if they had watched the last cut, they would have addressed the problems that needed to be addressed in right. that cut. And I'm taking a lot of comfort in knowing that none of the feedback has ever been the same. Mm -hmm. Characters that people hated in the first cut are now their favorites. Mm -hmm. 
and things are changing and it's this feedback is this pendulum swing process where I'm starting to get notes that are directly contradictory to things that I have quote unquote fixed. Like I need more detail. I need more exposition. When in earlier cuts, people were like, I need less exposition, stuff like that. And it's because it's all about this needle threading, right? You know, like you, you, you can never just swing all the way from one side, all the way to the other. You got to find the middle. It's about Tao. You know, it's like, it's this idea of yin and yang where like, You've got the you've got chaos and order on either side, but it's the line between them, that swervy line that separates them. That's where you want to live. You want to live with one foot in the chaos and one foot in the order. And I think mm-hmm. art has to exist in the same place. That's what I'm finding. And um and and so to bring it back to kind of roller specifically, what was missing is the hero's mm-hmm. journey. That is what's missing from this movie right now because I, I, I had to work so hard to wrestle order out of certain things and to make characters like it, it, it's this bizarre thing where like they would say that like people people would comment very specifically like I mean I'll, I'll put it out there basically people said like I don't know what Rufus right. wants I don't know what his mission is and it's there it's very much there he wants to save rollers but because i'm overly ambitious in some ways and 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 hold myself to probably too high of a standard for where i'm at in my career in a way i'm like he doesn't know what he wants either like i like ambiguity i like things existing mm-hmm. in this middle ground i don't like to pander to people and they're not telling me to pander but what they're saying is great do whatever you want. Make his motivations as complicated mm-hmm. as you want, but I better have something to latch right. onto or you lose me right at the beginning and you're never going to yep. get me back. Because I was like, what do you think about the ending? They're like, the ending's great, but you didn't earn it. Yeah. And that fucking hurts because when I'm watching it, I don't mean it like I'm butt hurt. I mean, like that hurts like right. deep down because I'm like, oh, I know it's there. I know it's there. Like, all the things that they want to see are there, mm-hmm. but I have to get rid of them for any number of reasons because I was telling Bryce, the danger of hiding exposition, for those who don't know, exposition is is details. Exposition is saying, exposition is like in a heist movie, it's like, okay, great. We got to rob this place because there's X amount of money in there. These are the obstacles right. in our way. This is the plan. That is exposition. Or why do people want to save rollers? Oh, because it's a family's right. venue. They've owned it for a long time. That is deeply, deeply woven into the story of rollers. And yet, it is so absent in this particular cut, even more so than last time, that they didn't even realize that. And there's part of me, like, dude, it took half an hour to get to the point where we realized that that's exactly what was at the core of it. Because it was so clear in my head that, of course, they understand it's the family's venue. Mm-hmm. That's impossible to miss. And yet, of course, they missed it. Because if it's impossible to miss, then I'm going to think, oh, I can take out all of the things that cue you to that so that I can focus on the stuff that's interesting to me because I've seen this a hundred right. times. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm not showing this to movie movie to people who have seen it a hundred times. I'm showing it to people who need to see it for the first time. So that's kind of where it's at. And 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 the hero's journey is a huge part of that. And and the hero's journey of rollers is is tricky because part of what's at the core of this thing is that Rufus 
wants to save this historic venue for a myriad of complicated reasons. And that is part of what makes him an interesting, likable character. Now, the trick is I have to concisely and clearly articulate very early mm-hmm. on why he wants to do it and what his plan yeah. is. Also, and why I think why it's worth it. I think there's some some of that is in there, but we have to feel as an audience. Um, and there is some stuff in there. I wrote you some notes. I watched the cut this morning. I don't know if I was totally clear in this, but yeah, that that's definitely true. Like we have to connect two rollers. We have to connect two Rufus and also agree and feel like this is worth saving. Know why he wants to save yep. it. Okay. We have to save this person. We have to save this community. We have to save like Star Wars. We have to stop the evil emperor. That is a very clear, defined motivation. Now, Luke has his own personal motivations. There's all these things that play in with that. But like at the end of the day, no one's confused about the goal of Star Wars. And it's the same with the Spider-Man movie. In fact, they even make a joke about it. Dude, if you put that new Spider-Man on the hero's journey, it hits every single beat perfectly. And they even make a joke at one point where they say, um, I'm paraphrasing, but basically it's like, if we don't stop this machine, it's going to kill everybody we love. That's pretty normal stakes for us or something like that. You know, basically, basically yeah. even beating you over the head saying these are the stakes. Which, and that just to be, just to bring it back to, that is an example of exposition. Mm-hmm. You need to tell the audience that I don't care how much of an artist you want to be. You have to tell the audience that kind of stuff. Right. Um, or, Keep you going. know, or you have an art movie. Here's the other thing, the big step I don't want to make an art movie, though. That's the thing. I don't right. want to make an art movie. So I'm reading the introduction to Aristotle's Poetics because there's just essay at the beginning that seems really interesting. And um, I'm just going to blow through a couple quotes. But he says, he's talking about Oedipus Rex, which Aristotle, you know, talked a lot about mm-hmm. and Greek theater and, and tragedy. Um. And he's breaking this down. I'm reading this last night after the screening because I bought this book at this random bookstore. And I was like, I should probably read that if I've never read it somehow. And everyone says it's great. I'm just going to blow through a couple quotes. But this makes me feel a little better because I'm like, man, people have been trying to solve this problem and figure out how to do it consistently for a very long time. And it's so hard that we still read Oedipus Rex because it's so good it's still worth reading because it's so hard to actually nail this that when you do it, your stuff lasts. And again, that's, that's because someone, you know, like Sophocles or whoever, you know, did not back to the Archer poem was not concerned with me reading. He did not give a shit about me reading his, his play. He cared about making the best damn play he possibly could. This is basically the hero's journey summed up. Oedipus learns that the plague in Thebes is due to the anger of the gods who are offended because the murderer of old King Laius was never found and punished. At that point, Oedipus's action arises, i.e. his motive is formed to find the slayer, period. That's the story. Find Mm -hmm. the slayer. Save Thebes, okay? Easy, right? Yep. Oedipus's action in most of the play is easy to define. His motive is a clear and rational purpose. And then the common motive to find the Slayer accounts for the main movement of Oedipus Rex and most drama, but we can see that the characters are also moved by feelings they hardly understand or respond to ideas or visions which are illusory. In Rollers, 
we have to save Rollers because it is his. It is Rufus's last connection to his family. Yeah, that's as primal as motivation gets, and it's in there. That is what is motivating Rufus. Thankfully, it's just not on screen mm-hmm. because all I can, all people see now is those complicated, deep emotions that motivate him. The illusory ones that he can't quite grasp onto and kind of neither can the audience of like, do I want to save rollers or do I want to let it die? Because ultimately he has a very complicated relationship with the place. But you can't address that until you've addressed the primary motivation, the primary action of save rollers because it's my family's venue and I have a duty to save it. Right. So if you had seen, for instance, in a flashback, young Rufus with his dad and they're taking a walk and the dad says, whatever you do, son, don't let rollers die. Exactly. Or I was saying that's exactly right. And it's great that you point that out because we're we're talking about how to solve this. And 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 there's a there's a a world in which we solve it in a similar way to to what you just described, because there's a reason people do that. It's what changes us. I think about stuff that my dad said to me all the time. That's fucking life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a great moment in (laughs) the, the, the comedy version of this is in Talladega Nights. His drunk dad says, if you're not first, you're last. And then he disappears from his life, Ricky Bobby's life. And he runs his whole life by that. Mm -hmm. Now with the hilarious turn comes when his dad's resurfaces and he's like, you told me, you, you know, he's like, you told me if you're not first, you're last. He's like, what the, I was probably drunk. That's stupid. If you're not first, <laughs> you can yeah. be second, third, fifth. <laughs> right. He's like, if you're not first, you're last. That's idiotic. And it's like, dang it. Like that's, that's, that's where it comes in. And so Oedipus, I don't even know the full story of Oedipus Rex, but there's gotta be some misinterpretation. There's something that he's not evolved enough to understand about the slaying of the king there you know there's going to be a twist you know that something is going to complicate that it cannot be as simple as find the slayer but Mm -hmm. that is his goal and it is very clear and it is boiled down and no one's confused about it one of the joshes was saying and again this is a different version of the same note i've been getting the whole time solve the big problems put the skeleton together Make sure that the bones connect to each other. Then you can worry about strapping some muscles on there and then putting right. some, some cute skin on it. And and I've been living with this story for so long that I'm like, I want to put some skin on it. You know, mm-hmm. I want to I want to dress it up and like put it in a pink jumpsuit and you know that kind of shit. And it's like, yeah, 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 fine, 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 do that. Once you've solved the actual problem, that's gonna make people like this movie because right now they're gonna think it looks cool and it's kind of funny. But they're not mm-hmm. going to care. They, yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, that's anyway. true. I, I do agree with that. There's a lot. I've seen it so many times. I have seen rollers more than I have seen any other movie, I think, except for maybe wow. Jurassic Park. <laughs> there, was a, there was a six month window when I was like 13 that I got a VHS of uh, Jurassic Park and I watched it every single wow. day after school. Yeah. Back when you had access to like 12 movies at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents like they PG-13. Are you kidding me? There's no way they would have let me watch that. I forget where I got it. Somebody in a trench coat probably sold it to me in Jersey. I love it. I have seen Roller so many times. So, yeah, totally agree. We have to care. So there is great stuff. There's great scenes. There are there's fun stuff. There's funny stuff. But if we don't give a shit about Rufus's mission, all of that is lost. I'm not depressed 
I'm not worried. I'm not freaking out because again, the mission is there. The mission is what is motivating him. This is an issue of exposition, not mm -hmm. motivation. Mm -hmm. And I can solve exposition very easily in a number of different ways. If it was not counterproductive, I could sit here and litigate the shit out of this movie with you. And right. you would be like, well, why is this here? And I'd be like, well, this is here because this line reveals this aspect of his character. And then this look that he gets from this character in response is incredibly important for understanding how she is a foil to him in that way. And mm -hmm. then the way that the conversation progresses from there, each of those beats is very specifically laid out. Right. But you know what? None of that matters nope. if no one knows what the damn mission is. And well, it also, okay. I can live with that, but it was, I will say, it was a great conversation. I enjoyed watching the movie. It's coming together. Mm -hmm. There was another guy there who's not, I'm trying, I mean, he's not like a film guy. He's a mm -hmm. guy. And I actually had a lot more people that a few of them had weird, crazy coincidences pop up, like people getting in car, like minor car wrecks, that kind of stuff that prevented them from coming, cars breaking down. So there was really only one guy, Vitor, who I was so glad he was there because he loved it. And, and, and he's a smart dude. He loves entertainment. Like he he loves good stories, but he's not like a film critic. He doesn't make movies for a living. So he's looked, watching it with a different lens. He loved it. He and, and he's he genuinely really, really, really loved it. And that was incredibly encouraging because I don't think that he was trying to flatter me. I think he genuinely really liked it. And I think he liked it for the same reasons that if I showed this exact cut, a lot of people would like it. Mm -hmm. They just wouldn't love it the way they love something like Star Wars. Bryce was saying to Vitor, because he was like, man, I feel so out of my depth. And he's like, yeah, don't, who cares? The point is your perspective is the, the primary perspective. And all right. we're really trying to do is figure out how to make the experience for people who are watching it with your eyes, not ours, right. better. And so having both of those there was great because it was a good reminder. Like this movie is not garbage. You know, I was looking at the feedback forms and there's some very boring rote kind of like rate this movie on a scale of one to five. Mm -hmm. How is your experience of what it is at the current point? We read, we read through these. What do you think it could be? And John, I got to say, I'm seeing the numbers slowly, slowly creep up. Right. I had no clue how shockingly difficult it is to make a movie. And I say that because I have continued to learn. I keep thinking that I am going to get to the point where it starts feeling more natural, mm -hmm. where I'm like, okay, finally it's clicking into place. Finally it's there. Finally I have figured it out. There were times where people were like, well, what about this? Like, could you solve it this way by shooting something else? And I was like, I honestly already shot that, right? Like right. I even have that. And I'm not saying that as a defense. I'm just... All the problems that were being discussed, the reason those things are not covered in the movie is because I, I, I don't like exposition. I try to avoid it when I can help it because it's boring most of the time for the audience. It is necessary. But dude, I, a lot of times I hide exposition in jokes. Hmm. But jokes don't always work, especially when you don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And so there are numerous times where exposition is hidden within a joke and the joke doesn't land. So I cut the joke and also lose the exposition. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, well, why wouldn't I, I, I feel like I've sort of said this. <laughs> <You're not honest. laughs> 
<laughs> okay, go ahead. I've always been of two minds about this. There's there's the the friend version of this that's like, dude, for under half a million dollars, you made a movie. It's an insane feat in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, can't but say as this. You know, again. that's not what I want to do. No, no, no. And again, then there's the critical side of me that's like, yeah, it definitely needs a stronger motivating force in here. We need to care more about all of this stuff. Is there a way? Because we're still talking about a micro budget film, right? Teeny, teeny, tiny. A very, very small budget film. Only a $4 million budget. (laughs) Only half the budget of Moonlight. No, it's a fraction. So I guess what I'm asking is, is there a way that you can, salvage is too strong of a word, but is there a way that you can wrap this up? Is there a way that you can shoot 10 more minutes of screen time that will tie everything back together, that will show us Rufus's motivations, will show us why we should give a shit, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a way you can do this for a relatively small amount of money? Absolutely. There are a lot of options on the table. And I need to do some thinking again. I'll, I'll, I'll focus more on why that is possible. Yeah. It is possible because it is not in any way. The things that need to be fixed, the things that need to be added are there already. Right. All I have to do is that's why I might. That is for the audience to say that is for the audience to say, you don't need to make up a sister character. She's already no, no, no. there. Exactly. Right, right, right. What I don't need to do, let's take it back to Oedipus Rex. I don't need to come up with the fact that the gods are angry and they've punished Thebes with a plague. Mm-hmm. That is the motivation. What I need to do is figure out a way to tell the audience, the character knows, mm-hmm. the character Rufus knows why he wants to save rollers or 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 whatever. The audience doesn't know, and that is a much easier problem to solve. If the if if the if they were like, I don't understand Rufus's motivation, and I didn't have a clear answer. Like at one point, Josh was like, "Tell me in as quick of a," and I'll I'll do it now. He said, "Tell me what you think this movie is about." You know, and I told yeah. him I was like, "This movie is about a historic venue, a young guy who gave up a career in music to come back and run it when his parents died. He feels like he has to take it over for them. He feels like he will find happiness and fulfillment by fulfilling his duty to save this place. But he is beginning to throw off. It's a coming of age story. He's throwing off expectations that are placed upon him by other people. And he's starting to realize that he has to find his own destiny and he has to figure out why he's here on this earth. And that may not be, his original interpretation of that. And so the movie is finding him at this very complex crucible within his life, this, this moment where he is choosing to basically let go or hold on to everything that has previously made him who he is. And there's love related to that. There's family stuff related to that. There's pride. There's all the classic dramatic tropes but that is the core of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that is that has always been the core of the whole thing. And that is everything that it needs to be. Again, the problem is it's that very first few sentences, which are in a scene that I just frankly don't like. It's all there, but it's all in a scene that I don't like how it turned out. We didn't mm-hmm. have the time to nail that scene the way that I thought we should have nailed it. And so we're missing some stuff. And... I got to figure that out. But to your point, yes, there are very 
practical solutions. What I'm doing is saying, okay, there was an earthquake. (laughs) The foundation under the front left corner of the house cracked. But that doesn't make the house broken. It just means that I've got to go fix the foundation under the front left corner of the house Mm -hmm. and then move on. And so now, yeah, there's a lot of ways to do that. Could I completely rip out the entire house and start over? Of course I could. But I don't want to and I don't need to because ultimately all I got to do is find the one crack that's causing all the problems Mm -hmm. and put a little thing there to be like, this was supposed to be there. It was there, but the earthquake fucked it up. Now I got to put it back in. That's Mm -hmm. as simple as it is. Now, it's never quite that simple, but... There is a big difference between that and like every room in the house is fucked up because the foundation is jacked across the board. That's a completely different type of problem. But because I, I, you know, for all my faults, for all my inexperience, there's a lot of that. I don't think I ever completely lost sight of the movie that I was making. And so Mm -hmm. I think I can genuinely point to the way that all of these questions are answered in the movie that exists right now. But I got to give people the key. Like uh, this is the last thing I got to give people. It's like that cipher book you were talking about. Like it's, it's like I, I wrote this movie in like very light, subtly colored borderline invisible ink <laughs> like the <laughs> themes of the movie everything else is very bright and in your face and the costumes and the music all that stuff is broad and big but the story and the themes are intentionally very subtle in certain ways now what i need to do is give you right at the beginning of the movie the glasses that reveal what's there and show you how to decipher the movie. I got to give you the tools, like the the code right. that you can apply to the rest of the movie. Because without that, you're just watching it and you're like, I'm looking at a bunch of pretty letters. I don't actually right. know what they mean. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah, I agree. And one thing I am really proud of you for is you, you describe the impulse to try to justify or litigate all of this with people say like no no that is in the movie here's where it is here's where it is but i was talking to somebody a while ago who was in a precarious living situation Mm. they were basically living with somebody and that person did not want them to live there anymore Mm. and they were trying to tell me this person who shouldn't be living there anymore they were telling me like oh here's why i should be living here i'm Mm -hmm. this i'm that i do this i do that and i say listen you're not gonna convince anybody of this Mm. you're not going to convince the person that you should be here they know that you should be gone and you need to either change what's happening or go those those Mm. are really your options you have to Mm. change it you're not going to ever convince them Mm -hmm. certainly not by arguing with them it's going to make it worse and that's partly why you're in this situation so now i'm really proud of you for that well thank you and 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 i just want to echo that with basically saying like Part of what I do try to do in these feedback sessions is Mm. say, okay, this is not a defense. Let me tell you what my intention was. Right, right. Let me tell you what is there so that you can now see it with my eyes and help me backtrack to the point where I lost you. Right, right. And so I think to to the point of, of the living situation, what your friend could and should do is say, with a completely open mind to that person, hey, 
I think I should live here, but let's talk about why you disagree and actually mm -hmm. let me listen mm -hmm. to what you're saying. Yeah. Because you might tell me something about myself that I don't already know. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody, but you got to be pretty fucking ballsy to ever hear that kind of shit. We got to wrap this up, but I know the last couple of weeks you've been cutting, cutting, cutting. And you were at right. the point where you were hoping to give this to a polish editor. And I feel like right now you're actually at a point where you need to step back and think about shooting some stuff that hasn't been shot. Is that true? Yep. You know, I do some shitty sketch solutions the way I did with some of the voiceover and the ADR. You know, I do the, the crappy versions so that I can see if it solves it in that way. You know, I write a scene and I just do the whole thing in my bedroom yep. and I stick it in the beginning of the movie and I'm like, does this solve it? You know, do I do the, if I was an engineer, I run the test on a computer program. I'm like, can this joist bear this amount of weight under these circumstances? You know, I'm like, right. I got to do it before I go and rip the house open. If I figure out surgically what I need, what was very, very, very encouraging is that in a way, Last night, some possible solutions arose that were effectively the evolved version of some solutions that came up in the very first screening. Everyone seems to keep coming back to the same basic concept, which I don't want to give away yet, but I will say, spoiler, it's something that, again, I don't say this defensively. I say it in a way that I'm like, I'm noting it so that I can learn this next time to trust my gut, in a way that I knew from the beginning was important it's with mm -hmm. a character who is in it a little bit right at the beginning and kind of doesn't come back except through his music mm. and he is I, I i even wrote this in my journal a while back i met this guy he's a musician Ural thomas his music is in the movie i met him and and i knew within a minute of meeting him it it I knew that he had to be in the movie and I knew that I wanted him to be in the movie more than he was currently in the movie in the script. And I didn't have time to remedy that, even though I wish I had, because I think I'm coming back to that same solution. I think he could be the key to unlocking this thing. Thing, thing.